You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So, um, primarily what I want to talk about, of course, there's a lot of news and notes about Corona. And I, if I wanted to, I could just sum it up by saying everything's done. Right? Maybe I'll elaborate. I, you know, you already know, I'm sure. However, what I actually would like to talk about today, I got a question on Instagram. And th- this is why I love when you guys ask me questions. Because every once in a while, one question gives me 50 ideas. And essentially, it was just a thought that he had had based on something he had heard. What he had heard was that Devontae, toward the end of the season, started playing more and more in the slot. And so he went on to elaborate and think it through and like, oh man, I wonder if this and that and the other thing. And so he asked me, hey, could you just check that out? I did. And um, very simple answer. But point is, That drove me to look at his snap counts by position. And then I thought, hmm, wonder what else we could glean from looking at other snap counts. So that's what I did. I went through and I just did, I don't know, I just just kind of perused everybody's snap counts to see if there was anything that I could glean from it. And I got a couple of observations, and I want to go through those observations with you today. So all y'all go ahead and gather around the fire, grab those couple extra rolls of toilet paper you've been hoarding from me. And let's uh, let's explore some stuff. Does that sound does that sound good? Are you the one taking all the eggs too? I would, can someone explain that to me now? I mean, I don't. I'm I've given up trying to ask why people are hoarding toilet paper. I went to Aldi yesterday. There's no eggs, none. Toilet paper and eggs are gone. Any theories on eggs? Just curious. I wanted eggs. So, anyways, thanks a lot. And I had to get 12 grain bread yesterday. So you know what? Not the best shopping experience in my life. But before we get into that, make sure you are in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. If you would like to support the podcast, there are a couple different ways. You could leave a five-star iTunes review. If you're not an iTunes user, you can use Stitcher, or I believe it's called Podchaser. I can't remember because I don't ever use it, but it's a thing. Also, subscribing on Spotify. You don't have to necessarily listen, but it, it is available on Spotify And I just would like Spotify to really like me. So if you could just go ahead and subscribe and just let it sit there, that's fine. If you don't use iTunes and you're willing to listen to it on Spotify, that would even be better. I mean, I'm just saying, if you don't care where you listen, like I generally don't care. I have one, but they're all kind of the same. So Spotify is kind of the gig because iTunes and Spotify are the the giants right now. So I'm 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 just asking, you know, no big deal. Otherwise, outside of word of mouth and just letting people know about the glories... Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can join in and support the show for as little as a dollar a month. Usually this is where I make a joke about people's finances, but I feel like that might be a touchy subject at the moment, so I'll just leave that alone. If you can't, you can't. No big deal, I understand. With that, I want to say a couple thank yous. First of all, I forgot to say thank you to JJ. He's already been a subscriber, but he jacked his subscription up, so I really appreciate that. Just so you know, that's another way, you know, if you're given a buck, you can up it to two. You know, it's an option. Also, thank you very much to Juan and Kyle for jumping in on uh, Patreon yesterday. Very much appreciate that. 
currently at 107 patrons. So again, the plan right now is to give away a um, NFL draft guide. I don't know which one. We'll figure it out when the time comes. If, however, we get to 125 patrons, I will be doing a PFF subscription giveaway that is available to anyone who gives in any capacity. If you don't want to do Patreon, there's other links, PayPal, Facebook, Venmo. If you want to drop a couple bucks in my mailbox, whatever. Just leave a note for what your name is so I can track you down and give you a subscription to something. Actually, don't do not do that. My wife will flip out. People leaving notes in my mailbox. <laughs> oh, that's the best. If, if you don't like this podcast, that would be the best way to make it go away. Send me creepy notes, and my wife will shut this thing down real fast. I'll enjoy it. I will love it very much, but um, prob- prob- probably not her so much. Anyways, let's take a break. We'll talk about a couple. We'll probably just do the newsy stuff first because I want to make sure we at least touch on it because there is some relevant information, obviously. I don't want to act like super big news isn't news, but, you know, we'll just fly through that and then we'll get to my observations. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now... Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. This episode of the Packernet Podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. It's a subscription-based sports news site for real sports fans. They've got thorough, in-depth coverage from local writers on every team, plus national writers like Jay Glazier and Michael Lombardi. No ads, no pop-ups, no clickbait. No pop-ups might actually be the best part. It's, it's hard to decide. I don't know if ads ever really super bothered me unless it, like, interrupted the show. Like the giant pop-up ones you have to actually close. The other ones aren't that bad. Pop-ups and clickbait, though, man. I tell you what. You're also going to get the complete uh, library of written audio and video content covering professional and college sports at a national and local level. They've got a great mix of long-form journalism, original, one-of-a-kind reporting, and in-depth analysis. So if you're ready to check it out, head over to theathletic.com slash overtime, and they're going to give you 40% off a yearly subscription. That's theathletic.com slash overtime. Okily-dokily. So, news and notes. Um, One of the more awkward things to happen (laughs) was the announcement that Christian Kirksey, who I had talked about, and I had mentioned that I didn't mind Christian Kirksey. I don't think he's a top-end elite athlete, but he's got some high-end potential. The biggest issue with Kirksey is that although he he looked pretty promising for a while, there's been several injuries. And so that this is a prime candidate to especially want to bring in, right? You want to know what side he of of which side of Christian Kirksey are you getting, right? Are, are these injuries so much that when you watch him run, he just doesn't look the same anymore? Whatever. So you bring him in, you work him out, whatever. And also, this is relevant because there's speculation. There's the Packers have made a call, and then the Packers have brought them in for a workout, 
which even that doesn't mean you're going to get the guy, but there's no smoke and mirrors with bringing a guy in. The reason I say it's awkward is because that was a thing. Everybody celebrated, yay, news, stuff, things are happening. Might be a new guy, free agent, you know, whatever. And about five seconds later, every other team says, yeah, we're not letting people come to our facilities. We're shutting everything down. It's not safe. It's irresponsible. And the Packers are like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally irresponsible to, to, uh, to, to fly guys in here and, <clears throat> and work them out. <laughs> so I, I don't know what happened. I'm assuming they, he went in and worked. maybe he's done already. But anyways, the Packers eventually, like every other team, followed suit, shut down. Everything's closed down. Lambeau's closed down. Titletown's closed down. Just like everything else. But, hey, Packers are interested in Kirksey a little bit, so there's that. Also, something that I completely forgot to mention because apparently it's so self-explanatory, I didn't even feel the need to put it in my notes, but Jimmy Graham was officially let go. Something that we kind of all knew was coming, but nothing is ever 100% until it's official. I I, kind of, I mean, I wasn't as sure last year, but it felt fairly confident that we weren't going to bring him back. Same with Geronimo. I was like, I don't know about Geronimo, and then they, they signed him again. So there, there was just this tiny sliver that maybe they were going to do something shocking and just be like, look, we already got him under contract, let's just ride it out, which would be not great for the salary cap. But anyways, that was officially official, so we can all, whatever tiny bit of breath we've been holding back on that one, feel free to uh, go ahead and let it out. Oh, and uh, thank you to Jimmy Graham for, for stopping by. I mean, it is it is kind of cool that... that we had Jimmy Graham. He is one of the, the better tight ends in the past, what, 20 years? I mean, you can go back further. He's one of probably one of the best of all time. I just, I'm not going to do that because I'm going to start arguments. But you go back. I mean, when we think back over since 2000, who, who is it? Tony Gonzalez, Rob Gronkowski, and, and who? Who else is above Jimmy Graham in his prime? It's not Jason Witten. Antonio Gates, maybe? So I mean, I'm just saying it's a select few, and it's cool that we got them. It is too bad that we didn't get that little bit of Julius Peppers thing, you know. Julius Peppers was considered over the hill too. The Bears fans were laughing at us because they dumped him because they, you know, didn't like him. Said he was all washed up, similar to what happened with Seattle, right? They picked him up. He's not quite as good. He's somewhat beneficial, but it's not the same old Julius. And then we go and pick him up to see if we can get a little bit of a spark out of him. And it, he just dominated. That was that was an awesome, awesome thing. It's too bad we didn't have a little bit more of Julius in there. Can't necessarily blame them for trying, which, which, which is another way of, of thinking about this also. It's easy to sit back and say, you bunch of dummies should have seen he was washed up. He was clearly getting worse. You overpaid him, blah, 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 blah. But that's Monday morning quarterbacking. That's us looking backwards and saying, see, you should have known, duh, obviously. But but what if it worked? I mean, you, you kind of have to apply that to Julius Peppers as well. Oh, no, I, I knew Julius. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You knew. I know you know everything. I get it. They tried, all right? Swing and a miss. It happens. Probably be a good time to remind you, I have a sheet out there somewhere. I should probably check it. That is going to allow you to sort of predict all kinds of stuff in the draft and free agency. Feel free to put your stamp on whatever it is that you know, and uh, we'll see how it pans out. Otherwise, there were a series of promotions that went on. So obviously, I already talked about the fact that we had hired Butch Berry to be a offensive assistant. Matt Schneidman called him a senior analyst. Either way, those are kind of the lower-level offensive helper types. It's two different titles, and I'm sure they have different meanings, but generally those are just kind of like the lower whatever. They then promoted one of these offensive assistants, so the Butch Berry hiring probably should have been a little bit of a tip-off because we already had those positions filled. One of them was by Jason Vrabel, who was just promoted to wide receivers coach. 
On top of that, Luke Getze, who is the quarterback coach, was promoted to quarterback coach slash passing game coordinator. So promotions across the board. Right, that's more or less what that is. More, more money and more, a little bit more responsibility. I know uh, it was mentioned on Twitter by Twitter's resident grouch and know-it-all that if the plan was to bring in Jason Vrabel, why not just do it already? And I think the implication being they don't maybe really like him that much. I, I, with all this stuff, I just tend to think sometimes there's an element of urgency, and if you don't get a guy. You're going to lose them. When you're talking about head coaches, offensive and defensive coordinators especially, these guys are going to go quick, and you better hurry up and find somebody. What was the real risk for a wide receiver coach? How many hirings did we see recently of this guru wide receiver coach? Point is, I I think they have a lot of time to kind of sort through this. And so this is kind of a restructuring, and this is going to take some time to work through and figure out. And so they talk about, should we hire Jason? If so, we got to find somebody to replace Jason. So if you start your search by at least doing your due diligence on possible replacements as a wide receivers coach, meaning not inside the building, then you conclude that search and say, okay, we would prefer to, to promote Jason Vrabel. But, you know, then you got to try to find his replacement. So you turn your eyes elsewhere to try to find that person. And then all at once, you just kind of announce your restructuring. I'm sure Jason was well aware of this. Maybe this is something that had happened a long time ago, and it just wasn't. I, who knows? Point is, at times like this, I don't really see. You could easily make the case, if you felt like it, to say if they were super confident about Jason Vrabel, Vrabel it would have been instant. right? Like Basically, he just pushed his way up and pushed our old wide receiver coach right out the door. Like, we got to get rid of this guy because Jason is the man. We got to move him up. I'm just saying, whatever. In the grand scheme of things, we're going to nitpick a couple of weeks that it took to promote a guy. If you want to, you can, but then ask yourself this question. How much on the 2020 season are you riding on the wide receiver coach? As much as we talk about we got to get better wide receivers, we got to do something about tackle, we've got to get a defensive tackle, we've got to get a linebacker, we got to do this, 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 this. How far down that list do you have to go before you get to wide receiver coach? Okay? So relax. Lastly, on the news front, congratulations to Mr. Alan Lazard, who apparently had earned $307,304 in performance-based salary. Typically something you're going to see when somebody wildly over-exceeds expectations. Especially awesome for Alan Lazard, because his base salary was $495,000. That would be like making a hundred grand and, and your boss being like, by the way, you were so awesome. Here's sixty-two thousand dollars in cash. Just wanted to say thank you. <laughs> it's not a bad gig, I'm just saying. Being a football player, I don't know. I know it's got some downsides, but um there's some perks that I don't think the rest of us are privy to. Don't know that I've ever really heard of that before, but um big shout out to Mr. Alan Lazard. So let's start with the Devontae situation. The question at hand, did Devontae play more on the slot down the stretch? The answer is no. Just keeping it quick, short, and concise. Nope, he did not. Now, there's always little tiny spikes because it depends on matchup and whatnot. So week 17, he played 18 snaps in the slot, and that was the most he had played in the slot. So you could possibly argue there's a slight uptick, but between 10 and 15 is about the amount he played all year long. The only outliers, week 10, he played nine snaps. Ooh, wow. 
Week 17 was 18 snaps. That's it. Those are the only thing outliers outside of, and you could just, I mean, if you just say between 9 and 15, you're going to nail all of them except week 17. But then you got the two playoff games. He played 11 snaps in the slot and then 14 snaps in the slot. So week 17 was an anomaly. So I don't know where somebody got the idea that he played more in the slot. PFF didn't track it that way. Maybe somebody else was counting differently. I don't know. But it did sort of raise a question for me. Who is going to take over in the slot? And somebody actually just recently asked a similar question in the Facebook group. I'm not going to go look it up for the sake of time, but uh, let, let me touch on that question. So I had mentioned before, the problem with getting a guy like K.J. Hamler, for example, is the fact that the Packers play less with three wide receivers than the average team. But I wanted to be able to back that up and see exactly what the numbers are, and I'm going to change my tune a little bit. It is true that the Packers aren't in 11 personnel as much as most NFL teams. The NFL average for running 11 personnel is 46%. The average NFL team is in 11 personnel, which is one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers, 46% of the time. The Packers run that 42% of the time. So it is less often, but we're still talking almost 50% of the time they got three wide receivers. So you, it's not ridiculous to say, who's going to be our slot receiver? As of right now, hands down our slot guy is Geronimo. In terms of snap counts and distribution, Geronimo is the guy that we put in the slot above anybody else. The biggest issue is it's not a given that Geronimo is going to be sticking around. Now, I've contended before that I would like to see EQ because I personally think that he would be a good fit there. And although they have used him in the slot from time to time, I think two or three of his games were primarily in the slot. Most of them were not. It's definitely not a slam dunk. Right, just because I think he's good in the slot doesn't mean Lafleur thinks he'd be good in the slot. We also don't even know if he's necessarily going to be a very good football player. If he is, fantastic. But if you're Brian Gutekunst and you don't know for sure what what Equinemius is going to be, do you want to just say, eh, we'll just slide Equinemius in slot and see how it goes? I don't think that's really doing the best job you can do. I think the the most obvious thing is to look outward, and in reality. It actually makes a little bit more sense. Granted, I expect them to get more than one receiver, but it's starting to make more sense to get a guy like K.J. Hamler, for example, especially if they are comfortable with guys like Lazard on the outside because most of the guys that we have, even Geronimo, you could say, is, is as adequate outside as he is in the slot. So we don't have a deficiency in the slot or on the boundary. We, everybody that we have can play outside. What we have is a deficiency in the slot. But I wanted to just look at free agency in the draft and highlight a couple names. First of all, free agents. And these are guys that had played at least 50% of their snaps in the slot. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders, Nelson Aguilar, Randall Cobb, and you could possibly say Tajay Sharp. Those would be four options to consider if Brian Gutekunst were to go outside of um, the team and look in free agency and was trying to find somebody that can play in the slot. Those would be some of the names to look for. Some of the guys in the draft, same criteria. A large portion, I'm calling it about 50% or more, of your snaps coming out of the slot. There were several other guys that um, can play in the slot but didn't very much, like uh, LaVisca Chenault, I think would be a guy that could play in the slot. He just had very little to no um, plays there. Brian Edwards is another one. It was about a third, I think, of his snaps came out of the slot. So I didn't put him on the list, but I, I think he probably could if you wanted him to. But otherwise, here are some names. Obviously, K.J. Hamler I mentioned. There's also K.J. Hill, Courtney Davis, Devin DuVernay, Justin Jefferson, Juan Jennings, or Jawan Jennings, 
Tyler Johnson, Donovan Peoples-Jones, James Proch. Some of those are a little bit surprising. I didn't know Tyler Johnson spent as, that much time in the slot. Same with Justin Jefferson, and I think that was the question in the Facebook group, or at least he was talking about his penchant in the slot or whatever. He played a lot in the slot. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones is a big shocker because he's a big outside boundary guy, but he was about like 48-ish percent in the slot, which was very surprising. James Proch also was a little bit under 50%, but I figure if you're at 45-ish percent or whatever, pretty sure you can handle slot responsibilities. But again, there's there's a, there's a ton of other names. There's probably other draft prospects that could be moved in the slot that maybe just didn't. You know, if you're the best wide receiver on the team, you might just get forced to the outside a little bit. If there's just nobody else that maybe could get slid inside. I already know I'm not a big K.J. Hill fan, although I wasn't a big fan of Tyler Johnson either until somebody encouraged me to go watch something else. So maybe I'll watch a different game of K.J. Hill, but just not a big fan of his. Otherwise, some real I, I like, I, I kind of like most of these guys. I mean, as sort of a mid-round you know, slot receiver flyer, assuming we've done something else, either it be a free agent or maybe an earlier round, you know, if we got somebody in the second round and then came back and got a fifth-round guy just kind of as a maybe situation, it's worth looking at. I don't know. Anyways, we're a little earlier than usual, but I've only got three more observations, so I want to make sure that uh, I slip this little breaky in here. We will be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so continuing on with the slot, let's look at the other side of things. Because one of the more, I guess, underrated storylines or questions is, if Tremont leaves, what's the plan? Um, I've stated already that I'm a big fan of Tremont. I liked him. I mean, I, we all liked him when he was here previously. But I remember after he left the Browns, I really wanted him. He went to to um, Arizona and was one of the top corners in all of football. Then we brought him over. I was super excited about it. He's been solid. I mean, he is a top 20 corner just year after year after year, even at his age. But that said, we know how the Packers feel about paying guys that are getting up in age. Um, again, getting back to sort of the ego thing, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but as a good GM, I think you have this desire to build a team, right, to actually construct a team and to have to rely on a 37, 38-year-old corner to fill holes because you can't get the job done. I just feel like that's not what he wants to do. He said, look, I got guys. I don't, I, don't, I don't need this. I got guys. I don't need to pay him. I'm sure he loves Tremont, but just in terms of what your job is, I just, I, I, I would not be surprised if he's gone. It, it would make me sick, definitely. But I didn't like that we got rid of Morgan Burnett. I didn't like that we got rid of Jordy. I didn't like a lot of things. That Mike Daniels thing came completely out of nowhere. So happens all the time. Josh Sitton just destroyed me. By the way, Josh Sitton went on to play for the Bears and the Miami Dolphins for about five, six years and was as dominant every si- That guy 
one of the most underrated offensive linemen. He was one of the best guards in all of football up until the day he retired. Just amazing football player. You never heard about him anymore because the Bears and Dolphins were garbage. But that dude was a stalwart beast. Anyways, that sort of brings me to the question about Mr. Josh Jackson. There's been a lot of questions about Josh Jackson. Do you think he can be a good football player? Do you think we should trade him? He's one of the most popular trade piece options from fans. You know, if we if there's an, well, that and probably Lane Taylor, I think. My general contention is, although I'm a little skeptical on his skill set, I know I've been saying for quite a while that he looked really good down the stretch. The problem is down the stretch, when I actually looked at it, he did grade out very well, quote-unquote, down the stretch. It was really just the last two weeks, and um, week 16, he played eight snaps. Week 17 was the only one he had any amount of significant snaps. It's, it doesn't mean nothing. I'm intentionally using double negative. I mean, it, it does mean something is what I'm going for. But it's not something we can get super, super jacked up about. But the reason I bring that up is I'm more willing to bet on the upside that maybe he is turning a corner, maybe he can slide in there, than... I, how, how can I phrase this better? I think there's more value possibly with the team than in a trade. I don't think he has much trade value because he hasn't really demonstrated much. And so anything that the Packers might be able to see in terms of what his value is, the Packers see it to a much greater degree than any other team does. So if he has value, we got to keep him. And if he doesn't, then nobody else thinks he has value either, so we can't really trade him. I just think if he has any value, it's with the Packers. Otherwise, probably just going to get cut. There's always an outside chance. I mean, he was a second-round pick. There were probably teams that really, really liked him that because maybe they just didn't need corner at the time or whatever, they just didn't take him. He ended up sliding way further than anybody thought he would. You always have that chance that somebody really wanted him and it's still kind of stuck in their craw. I think the Packers have had that with guys like uh, uh, Deshaun Kaiser, for example. I think they really liked Deshaun Kaiser. They were very split on should they take him or Kevin King. So when the opportunity arose to go get Deshaun Kaiser, they went and got him. He didn't show anything ever, but it was one of those things that I think Brian Gutekunst always really liked him, wished we had got him, and so he just had to satisfy that itch. So it's possible there's trade value out there, but... Again, if we get rid of Tremont, I feel like it's kind of Josh Jackson or bust. And and the one positive here, and I've been saying this for a while, not that I super like him in the slot, but the one big positive is that I want to stop using him all over the place. I, Josh Jackson is somebody that, even coming out of college, I think people were saying, he's going to take some time. And the problem is we have been moving this guy everywhere. He plays outside. He plays in the slot. He plays you know, as a free safety. He plays up in the box as a strong safety. I mean, he's just constantly being moved everywhere. And I would love it if the Packers would just let him stay in one spot and really just hammer that. So if he could just play that Tremont Williams role where he just stays in the slot and learns it. Because I, it's one of those things where I just kind of want to get a definitive answer. Now, I'd hate to do that during the season because we don't really have, I mean, I know I know we drafted Kadar Holman, but I mean, eh, although I shouldn't say that. He actually granted super limited sample size. Sorry for the super. You have burned that into my brain, sir, and I'm offended. I do say it too much, though. Anyways, he did grade out actually very well. If you go back and grade out the rookies, Kadar Holman was one of the better rookies this whole year, but sample size and all that kind of just doesn't count, but maybe. But Josh Jackson is definitely the X factor. It's also one of those things where he's a second-round pick, and I think the team is sort of doing a burn-the-boats kind of situation. You know, I mean, look, we drafted you in the second round. We kind of just need you to step up right now because Tremont needs to go, and so you need to man up. I mean, look, we, we've, we've been through much worse times at corner. As much as we feel like, why would you let Tremont walk and let Josh Jackson fill in that role? He's nowhere near as good as Tremont. 
there were days in Green Bay Packers land where Ladarius Gunter was our number one corner. Much love to Ladarius Gunter. The guy battled it out, but that was a thing that happened, that Ladarius Gunter was the best corner we had. So having Kevin King and Jair and Josh Jackson, I I just kind of have a hunch that's what's going to happen. Now, maybe they do something in the draft. I hope it's not early. We've already done enough early. We've got enough first and second round corners. If you want to take a flyer in the mid to late rounds, whatever, get another Kadarish type player. But at some point, we've got to get a, a, another player in here that's going to either sink or swim. And I'm, I'm really leaning on Milt here to go find somebody because the Green Bay Packers as an organization have just really, really struggled to find good defensive backs. And then when they do, you know, like Micah Hyde, they go ahead and trade him for some unbelievable reason. But it, re- it, it really is a weird history with Packers and corner. Either they have undrafted free agents that end up being studs, which is super random, or we go out and trade for somebody that's already a stud. You'd think maybe once in a while. Granted, Jair was a good pickup. Kevin King, again, great down the stretch. I'm really hoping that's just it. I Listen, and I haven't really done a Kevin King thing in a while, but, you know, my whole thing with him now, I want so badly for what he did down the stretch to just be who he is. Maybe that was just the moment, and he's just going to be just a dominant, dominant corner. I would love nothing more than for him to just get the whole bag, man. Just pay that man like one of the best corners in football because he is, right? I want him to have a dominant 2020. I've been down on Kevin King, but not because I don't like Kevin King, but because he was overrated for a very long time. He was one of the worst corners in all of football, and everybody in Packers fandom just refused to acknowledge it. No, no, he's great. He's great. He's just been hurt. Yeah, except even when he's not hurt, he's not good. So that doesn't work. However, again, down the stretch, he was probably better than Jair was. And if we can get that two, those two going, I'm not even super worried about Josh Jackson or Kadar or Tremont or whoever's there. Because that is just a lethal duo if those two can really get up to their full potential. By the way, let's not forget we've got a different defensive back coach, which I'm actually very excited about because I've been kind of curious about that for a while. Because there's also been a history of guys that were DBs in Green Bay leaving and becoming much better than they were when they were here. And then you get the guy who coached up the Vikings defensive backs, including their safeties, who just every single guy that goes over there is the best safety in all of football. They literally had four guys as safeties that could be starters anywhere in the league, three of which are like some of the best in all of football. They're going to lose one of the best safeties in all of football because they've already got enough safeties and he's too expensive and the Vikings don't have enough money and they're just going, eh, that stinks. But what are you going to do? We got safeties. We're good. So I'm hoping that um, that has a positive effect. You might be wondering what a snap counts have to do with any of this. This was kind of an evolved thought. This is kind of where my thought process went because the snap counts weren't super interesting. The, the one kind of interesting observation, I guess you could say, is although they moved him all over the place, he actually was out wide the vast majority of the time, meaning not safety, not slot, not strong safety, linebacker, whatever, but out wide, covering wide receivers those last two weeks when he graded out really well. So you could say, wow, maybe that's kind of where he belongs, which kind of makes sense. I've been saying, I don't know why they keep putting him in the slot. I don't know why they keep making him a safety. Just put him out wide and leave him out there. The issue is, though, you go back to 2018 and it's sort of the opposite effect. Some of his best games were the games that he played in the slot. So I, I, you know, this is what happens when you have super small sample sizes, even week to week when he's playing maybe 20 snaps is, is the peak. It's hard to find any real strong correlation, but I, at the very least, would love to see them just put him somewhere and leave him there. They're just asking the guy to do way too much. 
Another observation. I was going through all the tight ends, and I came up with this broader question, and that is, who is going to replace Jimmy Graham? Doesn't sound super in-depth, right? Well, duh, that's a question, and it's going to be Jace and or we're going to go get somebody else. I mean, this is... Here's the situation, though. Let me illuminate something for you. Similar to wide receiver, when you look at um, snap count distribution, Jimmy Graham was split out. In other words, in the slot or out wide, 50% of the time he played football. 50% of the time he stepped out on the field, he was out away from the line of scrimmage as a wide receiver. We already know Mercedes Lewis, if he even sticks around, is not that guy. In fact, from week 14 on, they never split him out again. He was split out about once a week, at least once a week, every single week, up until week 14, and they said, all right, enough of that, bring him inside for the rest of the year. In fact, he was only used in line as an in-line tight end. He wasn't used in the backfield, he wasn't used in the slot, nothing. Just in line, that's it. Jay Sternberger, who is probably the presumed, he's going to be the guy, right? He's, he, he's, he's the wide receiver, he's that guy. He was used extremely sparingly out wide. Only five times over the course of two weeks, the entire season. In other words, there were only two weeks all season that he was used out wide. I should say split out. I'm including the slot in this. For a grand total of five snaps. He is primarily used in line and then saw a big spike of being used in the backfield after Danny Vitale got hurt. The bottom line is, though, 5%. 5% of the time he was split out meaning 95% of the time he was either in line or in the backfield. Now, I know a lot of people go, well, okay, but they could just move him out there. Yeah, but th- you're not going to just do that. The guy has no experience as it is, and they decided that he's better in line for whatever reason. You can't just go into the season saying, well, hopefully he can handle the responsibilities because he's going to have to fill that void. Best of luck. I just don't see that as a thing. Now, as far as the guys on the roster, who's the one that split out the most? It's actually Robert Tanyan, but even Tanyan is only 16% of the time. It's nowhere near what Jimmy Graham was doing. Here's the interesting little tidbit. If you're trying to find somebody that has almost identical snaps to Jimmy Graham being split out, you know who it is? It's Austin Hooper. Listen, all this is different skill sets, and I know we think of Jace as this this great wide receiver and all this stuff. The Packers have a very specific designed role for him, and for whatever reason, based on his skill set, and let's remember, he's not a 4-4 guy. He's like 4-7-5 guy. He's actually relatively slow. He's not a burner, and so in line going up against tight ends is probably going to be his best bet, not split out with safeties. He's too slow for that. Again, not saying he can't do it, and maybe they'll just push him out there and hope he can thrive. Maybe he's even going to be better because that's where he belongs, but he was just forced inside because of Jimmy. I don't know, but all that stuff is just made up speculation, and it's just assuming, and I don't like assuming when we're going into the 2020 season trying to win a Super Bowl. Like, I don't know, let's roll the dice and see how it goes. Point is, though, Austin Hooper split out 45% of the time. So similar to Jimmy Graham, half the time he was spent out wide. And again, I think a lot of this has to do with skill set. If you're looking for a Jimmy Graham type skill set, you're not seeing it in Tanyan. You're not seeing it in Jay Sternberger. You do see it in Austin Hooper. That is a Jimmy Graham replacement. And as much as that might not sound great because Jimmy Graham didn't do well, the point is what they wanted Jimmy Graham to be able to do. Ideally, that's what Austin Hooper is. He's the Jimmy Graham that we never had. Obviously, there's no telling where Austin Hooper's going to go, whether the Packers will be able to offer the most to him. His price tag might even get to the point where the Packers just pull it and say, nah, sorry, not doing it. But um, it just really helped to kind of illuminate that as far as what maybe would be the most 
the biggest draw for Austin Hooper as opposed to maybe just trying to find somebody in the draft and rolling with Jason Tanyan and some other fourth-round guy? Because as far as I can tell, from the Green Bay Packers' perspective, we don't have a Jimmy Graham on this team now that Jimmy Graham is gone. Because if we just say tight end, then it's just it becomes too general, right? It's like offensive linemen. Like we've we've got we've got offensive linemen. We got a bunch of them. Yeah, we we need a right tackle is is what we need. Not an offensive lineman. We need a right tackle. I think that's similar to tight end. Each guy has a different skill set, and and each guy. I mean, you didn't bring in Mercedes Lewis and Jimmy Graham to be the same guy. They had distinct roles, even though they have the same general title of tight end. They're different players with different essentially different positions. I wouldn't even be surprised if they're labeled slightly differently for the Green Bay Packers just to kind of identify the different roles that Matt LaFleur needs on his team. And what I'm saying is whatever the name Jimmy Graham carried, whatever that role is, we currently don't have anyone to fill that. We have people that maybe could step into that role, but nobody that has proven that they can be that guy. There you go. Finally, a couple rapid-fire observations. Um, Tyler Irvin was kind of a hot name that people got excited about. The one thing I found extremely interesting, I feel I may have mentioned this once before, I don't know, but it was very weird. He stepped on the field 46 times. You know how many times he was in the backfield out of those 46? 11. And that's that's interesting for a couple reasons. First of all, it's, it's strange because we remember Tyler Irvin as a running back that when he came on the field, he made pretty big plays. But I think it's very interesting that you had guys, or that you had a guy that, maybe I'm just not remembering very, but he was split out a lot, 35 times compared to 11. He was, in 23 of which, by the way, were in the slot. It's also very interesting when you look at this draft class, because as I mentioned, I was trying to go through running backs, and I know I'm way behind on that. I'm a failure. I'm the worst ever. But I was trying to go through running backs, and the guys at the bottom of my list were almost all guys that, for some reason, they're always split out wide. Like, how am I supposed to evaluate you as a running back when you're a wide receiver 90% of the time? Um, one of the guys that would fit that mold is Jamichael Hasty out of Baylor, five foot eight, two hundred three, a little bit smaller in height but bigger in stature, which I think um, is appreciated by the Packers. They like sort of guys with bigger builds. But the point is, if you're looking for for example, a Tyler Irvin replacement. If you like that skill set, I'm not saying that I know that this is what the Packers are doing, but if you like that skill set and want to have that position but to a maybe higher degree, there's guys in this draft class that fit that role. Again, Jamichael Hasty is one of those guys. Go watch some of his film. He's he's a, he's a wide receiver most of the time. Another guy is Antonio Gibson out of Memphis, six foot one, two twenty three. Now this guy, I'll tell you what, you want to talk about a Brian Gutekunst guy. If they're looking for a Tyler Irvin type player, he fits that mold, but he's 6'1", 223. Maybe a little tall for what they like, but 223 pounds for a guy that is also split out a ton. 223-pound running back that can run routes. Ooh. I'm not saying I liked him a lot because, again, I hardly ever saw him run. And as far as, you know, if you were to grade him as a wide receiver, he wouldn't grade out very well. But, yeah, I mean, that, again, I, I only went through one, two, three, four eight, nine running backs, and two of them were wide receivers most of the time. So it's a thing. It's uh, it's definitely a thing. Another random observation. The Packers lost confidence in Marquez Valdez-Scantling right after week nine. It's relevant because some people are still hanging on to the, he's going to have a bounce back year, just wait. We didn't have patience with Devontae. You guys are making a big mistake. MVS is going to break out, and you're all going to feel dumb. It's possible. The problem is, though, when you see his snap counts go from being a starter and then in week nine 
being no longer a starter and getting very limited snaps. And then once the postseason started, they completely lost confidence in him. In other words, he was done. Let me put this into perspective, give you some numbers so that you can label it however you want. So you could almost say he was one of the prime options from week one to week six. The lowest amount of snaps he played was week one at 41 snaps. The highest was 68 in weeks four and five. From weeks seven to week nine, in week seven he only played 20. Week eight it was 41, which is kind of a, it's one of those things where the, the, the new high was the old low. And then 33 snaps. So, so that was kind of like the middle ground where it seemed like there was a, a, a down tick. So from 40, 60, 40, 60, 60, 50 to 20, 40, 30. And then week 10, he had 11 snaps. Then there was the buy in week 11. And ever since then, it was no turning back. The highest he played for the regular season was 29 snaps. That was week 12 right out of the buy. He didn't impress anybody. It went down to 17, then down to 10, then down to 7, then up to 11, then up to 20. In the playoffs, again, game is on the line, or the, the, the season is on the line. Who are you putting on the field? In the divisional playoffs, he had five snaps. That's it. And then finally, in the final game of the year, one time. He stepped on the field once. Even on special teams, he didn't go back on the field. One time total, he was on the field. I, I'm just saying, that's a really bad sign. And it doesn't bode well the idea that the Packers are going to pay him money to stay on this team when they completely lost faith in him. Now, he's not a free agent, so there's still a good chance that he ends up sticking around because whatever. But in a year in which we're expecting to have an influx of talent, when the cutdowns come, my point is don't be super shocked if Marquez doesn't quite make the cut because the competition hopefully is going to get super ramped up. We know Devontae's staying. We know Lazard is going to be the guy. Kind of just becomes a numbers game, I guess. I mean, it, I suppose if we bring in two guys, he could possibly be that number five still. But if, if there's any amount of, of talent that can bump up above Marquez, he's in trouble. Because I don't think the team is going to scratch and claw to make sure that they can keep him around. Especially if they're going to be drafting guys that are Marquez Valdez-Scantling type players. You know, if the Packers end up drafting Denzel Mims, that is just a death blow. Because again, Denzel Mims is Marquez Valdez-Scantling, except presumably a very good wide receiver. I've, I've labeled him as, as the Marquez Valdez-Scantling that we hoped he would be. Now, on that same note, a guy that I've been much more positive about, Rashawn Gary, actually followed a similar path. I know the team is excited about him, they believe in him, but the fact of the matter is he was not coming along as well as they had hoped. That was very evident, you know, all the lip service you can give in the world, but the, the evidence is what the evidence is. If the guy's getting really good at something, you don't pull him off the field and he was a guy that started seeing less and less snaps. Now, it's nowhere near as defined. It's it's not anything like what you saw with Marquez. So he cuz he wasn't getting that many snaps to begin with. So before the bye, he was anywhere from 6 snaps up to 22. After the bye before the playoffs, it was right between 12 and 18. So right in that that same range, right? A, a higher floor but a lower ceiling, right right in that very narrow range of snaps. But it was really the playoffs, and, and who knows, maybe there was an injury mixed in there somewhere, I don't know, but it was in the playoffs when it just seems like they said, nah, we don't really want him on the field. And I really think it was, it was especially against the 49ers when they just said, we just want only the best of the best because they started freaking out. Right? That's what Marquez never saw the field. So in the divisional playoffs, he only had nine snaps, which was one of his lowest. And then when the 49ers game rolled around, three times he was on the field. 
So, again, it's not as bad, and of course, with him being a first-round pick, and they've already stated, look, he's not where he needs to be, but he's learning a new position, blah, 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 blah. So this isn't necessarily a, oh, boy, he's going to get cut, because obviously he's not. But, again, the bottom line is, you want to know what they think about Rashawn Gary. Look at what happens when the game is on the line. When, when, when the chips are down, who are you putting on the field? They threw all their best guys at it. They pulled Marquez. They pulled Rashawn. And they said, Zadarius and Preston, you guys are just going to have to push this whole game. Just keep playing because we're not putting anybody else in this game. Um, some other seeming evidence is that you see a slight uptick especially you know if you look after the bye and then in the postseason in Kyler Fackrell's snaps, meaning they're trying to push Rashawn Gary in. Slowly they recognize this isn't super working, so they pushed Fackrell in and said, you're going to kind of take the majority of these sort of number three snaps. So it doesn't change a ton in terms of what we know about Rashawn Gary and that he underwhelmed. The Packers weren't super confident in his ability, but they are confident in his ability to grow. But it is disconcerting that a guy that you're hoping and expecting to get better over time just apparently didn't because he just, you know, if you look at Kenny Clark, for example, exact opposite situation. He started off with the same amount of snaps that, you know, you see a guy like Rashawn have, very limited. By the time we reached the postseason that year, he was the number two tackle. He had passed everybody. And by the start of next year, he was the number one defensive tackle on the team. Rashawn Gary does not seem to be following that same path. And, and to be completely honest, Preston Smith, as much as we really like him and want to put him in the same category as Adarius or just slightly below, he kind of had a flurry of being really, really good. Down the stretch, he was just pretty a, a pretty average run-of-the-mill edge rusher. He was not stacking a bunch of stats. In fact, the end-of-the-year stats kind of just reflect what he did in the first half of the season. Toward the second half, he was arguably below average. So Rashawn Gary has a real opportunity if he could step up and act and play like an actual first-round 12th overall pick to be the number two guy. It's there. I mean, again, Kenny Clark took that number two spot starting the very next season. He actually overtook it the first year by the postseason. If Rashawn can really play well and really kind of grind it out and learn to be an outside linebacker, he has an opportunity to, at least by the end of the year, be the number two guy. And I don't mean by... By injury, I just mean by being that good. I don't expect him to take over for Zadarius, obviously, as the number one, but um, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that as the number 12 overall, with his unbelievable athleticism, he needs to be able to be good enough to take over Preston's spot. That should be that should be the goal. I think the Packers should be expecting that. I think Rashawn should be expecting that. Anyways, uh, final observation, kind of a little minor thing, but it seems like the Packers got a little bit of an idea in their mind that after, or at least during the bye, they say, you know what we should do? We should start putting Zadarius in the box more, meaning linebacker, presumably. They, that's what PFF calls it, box. Linebackers and strong safeties, and, you know, they just look at where you're standing. So the box is a certain area. A lot of people tend to wander in that box for one reason or another. Zadarius was in the box a lot after the bye. So there was a, an, an additional little wrinkle that the Packers had seen during the bye week to where, if you look at it, he had played eight times in the box through the first ten weeks. Three times in week one, twice in week three, and then once in week eight, nine, and ten. Then they go into their bye, they start looking at stuff, trying to find some wrinkles. They come out in week 12, he plays six times in the box. He goes 6, 5, 11, 21, 3, 13, and then in the playoffs, 8, and 4. He played a grand total of 79 times. 
71 of those snaps were after the bye. So obviously they move him around, not just along the defensive line, which he is just absolutely everywhere, uh, primarily left outside linebacker, but he plays, you know, right outside linebacker. He's uh, plays defensive end when we're in a four-man front. He plays defensive end on a three-man front. He plays, I think, everything but nose tackle. He's played defensive tackle 35 times. He played at defensive tackle. So I mean, he's doing absolutely everything. But I don't. Anyways, again, I found that a little bit interesting. But anyways, that's what I found. Hope you folks have a fantastic Friday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye bye. <laughs>